I want to uh, want to introduce the sermon this morning with two research findings. You know, you you might go, oh my gosh, um, pretty fascinating. Let me just share them briefly um, because I, I think they say something so significant to us. Uh, Sherry Turkle is a professor at MIT. She's the author of a book called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. She has spent the last 15 years studying how our plugged-in lives have changed who we are. She claims that all of our technological devices have produced a world in which we're always communicating, but we're seldom having real conversations. She writes this, We are tempted to think that our little sips of online connection add up to a big gulp of real conversation. But they don't. Email, Twitter, Facebook, all of these have their places. But no matter how valuable, they do not substitute for conversation. Connecting in sips may work for gathering discrete bits of information or for saying, I am thinking about you. But connecting in sips doesn't work well when it comes to understanding and knowing one another. We expect more from technology and less from one another and seem increasingly drawn to technologies that provide the illusion of companionship without the demands of relationship. That is deeply profound. Companionship without the demands of relationship. Another study, 72 years long, conducted at Harvard, has tracked what really makes human beings happy. The current director of the study was asked what had been learned, and this is what he said. Quote, the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships to other people. In the last two decades, Researchers have discovered that this truth is wired into our brains. One summarizes it this way. He says, the most fundamental revelation of the discipline of neurobiology is that we are wired to connect. Neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with another person. You sound and look really impressed. Okay, let me put the findings of these two studies together for you. Simply, I reach a conclusion like this. The very thing that we were created for doesn't come easily. It requires much from us. Created for relationships, created for significant relationship and conversation and give and take that comes out of relationship. And it's the very thing that we're created for that we find so difficult to deal with. And whether we know it or not, we're always looking for ways out. Quality relationships take effort and intention. If we want relationships that are meaningful and life-giving, and truth be told, I think most of us would say, yes, that is the longing of my heart. Or it is at least a longing of my heart. And if we want that, if we want relationships that are meaningful and life-giving, we need to be prepared to invest time and emotional energy. 
Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And I would add, too, that there is even more at stake than just personal satisfaction or happiness, according to the researchers. For believers, for the people of God, it is witness for Jesus that is promoted by the depth of the relationships that we have. Either promoted or compromised, depending upon our commitment to and our treatment of the relationships that we have with one another in the body of Christ. I realize that for most of us that is not new news. But the truth is, I think it's, it's news that we need to be reminded of from time to time. And, and this, is, this is one of those Sundays that we need to be reminded of it. In our previous study, Matthew chapter 6, if you were with us learning the prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray, you remember that I, I said to you, I believe that the mission of the church in the world is a subversive mission. Pardon me, this is driving me crazy here. <clears throat> Somehow. There we go. Hopefully, that's better. People of God are committed to a different way of life because they are committed to a different Lord. A different ruler. Unlike any that this world has to offer. They are citizens of a kingdom that is far superior than, than any kingdom or country in this world. And as, and as such, they, they live according to a different value system and economy, which is in great part counterintuitive to anything that can be found in this world. Kingdom of God values like the first will be last, the greatest will be the servant. Personal sacrifice is the path to joy. Death to self is life. Those kinds of values that just don't make sense in the world in which we live. And, and by the way, if we, if we use those, those images, the language of, of kingdom or country, the flag that flies over the kingdom of God, it has a blood-stained cross on it. That is the symbol of power for the kingdom of God. And, and by living under this flag, and according to the values of the kingdom of God, God's people are undermining the powers of darkness that hold this world in its grasp. That is the subversive peace of the mission of the church. And the, and the group of people on this earth at any given time that band together for the sake of living out this kingdom life, they're called the church. Those who have been rescued, those who have been called out, we know that that's what the word means. They've been called out of a life of living for self. Back into the relationship for which they were created, and that is living for God's glory. Living for His praise, the one who has rescued them. And this life, this, this new life, both individually and together, they live it with the hope that it will be attractive enough to those who still live in the prison of this world. Prison that the scripture calls darkness 
It is a prison of self-interest. It is a prison that holds the illusion of autonomy, that we get to live life for ourselves, and that is where our best interest lies. The church, God's people, live out the values of the kingdom so that those who still live in captivity to the kingdom of this world might look and see something that calls to their heart and actually want to be members of God's kingdom as well. So the church, as we've said, is on a mission. And the church is all about living out healthy, life-giving relationships, or at least it should be, because the church is always people. The church is never the building. The church is never the program. The church is never the ministry, regardless of how wonderful we may deem that ministry. The church is people. None of us gets to be the church by ourselves. We are together the church. The nature of the church is is plural. It's people living out together the value system of God's kingdom. And so, so my brothers and sisters, in case you haven't guessed already, we're talking a little bit about that this morning. Life together. Life together as the, as the people of God. And another one of your inserts this morning talks about uh, life groups. For years at Applewood, we've called them small groups. Decided, and, and, and I'll be honest, I say we decided. I just kind of pushed it from the get-go. Um, let's call them life groups. Uh, they're more than just small Small is just a description of of size, life groups, about sharing life together as followers of Jesus. You'll hear more about that ministry in in just a few minutes. But first, I want us to, to look at what is no doubt a familiar text as we look at the original life group, first century, Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. And let me remind you the context of what is happening around this familiar text. Jesus has left the earth. By Acts 2, he's gone. He's returned to his father. He's been gone for a few days, perhaps even a week. And the Spirit, whom he promised would come, has come. And the Spirit has taken over the lives of his followers. Pentecost has happened. The presence of God's people are now being indwelled and empowered and taken over by the Spirit of God. And they have begun to live out the value system of the kingdom of God. They're living as his followers, followers of Jesus, and it's becoming difficult for them because their loyalty lies elsewhere. And as their loyalty to Jesus as Lord becomes more and more evident it begins to expose the kingdom of darkness and it begins to attract many people who have been imprisoned in that kingdom of darkness. This original life group is just turning things upside down. It is rocking the Jerusalem world like nothing has done before. So, let's stand and let's read from chapter 2. Description of what's going on in that 
life group. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. My brothers and my sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Did you hear that? The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. What were they being saved from? The darkness. So those who were being added daily were coming from where? Yes, exactly. And, and the church just looks to be like it's launching all kinds of evangelism projects and ministries and programs, right? Not that we see. But wow, the transformation that is happening as a result of the life that is being lived. Heather, can we put our our question up? We read this word, devoted. What does devoted mean? Talk with your neighbor about it for a minute. Why do you think that the followers of Jesus were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer? What was important about those things? Talk together for just a couple minutes. All right. Can we share it a bit? It's a result of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Following the lead of the Spirit of God. Yeah. 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 Encouragement. Safety. (laughs) Committed on steroids. Okay, okay. What else? Anyone else want to add? Good, good. Persecution, calling them, you know, you're all in or, or, or not. And, and pr- really, persecution, as, as you mentioned, Sharon, start, started to grow. You know, it, it, it really started heating up in, in just a, a few chapters from that. Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Tremendous stuff. It, I'm, thank you. Thank you for interacting the, the, the way that you did. It, it's, it's such a significant event in the life of the church. Yeah, they, were, they were certainly committed to the apostles' teaching because why the apostles had been with Jesus. And, and the person and work of Jesus Christ was central to their life's experience. He was what that life change was all about. It was following Jesus as persecution began to heat up. And so, as followers of Jesus, some of them had been with Jesus, others had not. So they spent their time learning from the apostles, those who had been with Jesus and who had lived with Jesus. They were devoted to that. They were certainly devoted to the breaking of the bread, I I think for a couple of reasons. One, they were Jews. They shared meals together. That was a part of the Jewish tradition. It was common. But also, Jesus was the bread 
of life. Many of them had heard him say that. And others were learning that that's what he had said as they received the teaching from the apostles. And the apostles were instructed, you remember, to to celebrate him, to remember him in the breaking of the bread. So Jesus was was central to to their meals and their times together. They were devoted to prayer. Again, they were Jews. Prayer had been a part of their religious practice, but as we learned in our study of of the prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus changed that for them. He instructed his followers to address Yahweh as Father, and that began to change everything. They had been with Jesus, and they had watched him pray. They had experienced his praying. They had listened to his praying. And they knew that Jesus lived in the power of relationship that he had with his Father. I think that was at the heart of much of their prayer. Here's the thing that really jumped out at me this week about this text. And and those of you who know me, you know this this has been one of my favorite texts forever. Uh, You'd ask my boys that because they think I've been alive forever. <clears throat> and and it's been one of my favorite prayers for so so texts for so so long, and yet the thing that Luke expands on is the fellowship. He just says apostles' teaching. He just says breaking of bread. He just says prayer, but he expands on the fellowship. Luke was a physician the author of the book of Acts. It's a Greek name. There is some tradition in church history that believes that, Jew, that, that Luke was, was a Gentile and, and probably became a follower of Jesus as a result of time spent with the, the original apostles. Um, there is also argument that, that, that he was a Jew. And truth be told, those arguments are probably stronger than he was a Gentile. But I do think that it's significant that he spends so much time expanding on what happens in the fellowship, in the time that these folks spend together. They they were blessed and amazed at the miracles that the apostles were able to do. They were together. They had everything in common. They shared possessions and items that were necessary for daily living. They sold things in order to have money to give to those who had significant needs. Every day, Luke writes, they met together in the temple courts. That was part of their worship tradition. They broke bread and ate together in their homes, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people, with the exception of the Jewish leaders. What's going on? This is life transformation. This is a different life that is empowered by the Spirit of, of the living God. And is it possible that, that Luke elaborates on their sharing of life together because it was so unique? I think so. This is something that people hadn't seen before. They were intentional about being together. They were devoted to the fellowship, he says. And as a result, in their midst, God did some amazing things both in them and through them, I think Luke is recording for us a wow moment. As he reflected back, probably wrote this years later, as he reflected back, what stood out to him is what God did 
in the midst of his people. So my brothers and sisters, here's, here's the point of the sermon this morning, really plain, really simple. I'm hopeful that as we have begun another ministry year, tracking along with the school year as, as we do at Applewood, that, that each one of us will rethink, rethink our commitment to one another as the body of Christ here at Applewood Community Church. Now, you did not hear me say there, come to church more, do more things. I didn't say that. What I hope that we will rethink is our commitment to one another. Because I believe that when we are sharing life with one another, we are putting ourselves in a place that is greatly honoring to God and is a great testimony to those who know and watch our lives. God never intended for his people to be casual in their commitment to one another. I think that's a result of what the human heart does. In many ways, we fear commitment to others because it will mean inconvenience, especially with those who are different than we are. As I get to know someone who is who's way different than I, whose background is different, who's grown up under different circumstances, it's going to be a long story. And that's going to take my time. And my time is so precious because I'm so important. It will mean that we recognize more and more that though we are complete in Christ theologically, we need nothing in terms of our salvation. It is a completed deal by the grace of God through His Son What we do need in the process of growing to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is others who are pursuing that same goal. And we do it together. Becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ happens in relationships of trust, relationships of tension, forgiveness, mutual accountability. Those things can only happen when we make them a priority. So I'm not asking you, to make a greater commitment to coming to church. What I'm asking you is to make a greater commitment to being the church. That we, all of us, will become more and more committed to being the people that God has called us to be and doing that in relationships. And it just so happens that some of us think that that can happen really well in a life group. It can happen in a place where you carve out the time in your life and you intentionally and purposefully connect with other people who love Jesus and are pursuing Him as you are doing. Lots of ways to do that. Life groups are about being intentional. So, I want you to see a, uh, a small group life group video. That was so great because a lot of the time we want to just do those things, but it doesn't actually help us grow. Uh, my name is Carrie Wallace. I am now um, stepping up to be the coordinator for the life groups here at Applewood. And uh, thank you, Phil. my lovely husband, assistant. Um. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I am so excited to help us all connect and grow with each other. And I'm happy to be the one to call in case you have questions or want to be in a group or want to form a group. Hint. So we are starting a new way of dealing with our life groups here. I have created a board here with Bob's help. And on it, it's going to be in the church I'm planning in the foyer. You can look at it whenever you want. The same information is on your insert that's in your bulletin today. And the definition of our life group is what we have come up with, a small Christ-centered community of people devoted to connecting with God and each other in order to share life as followers of Jesus. Right now, we have three available small groups, life groups. Got to get used to this. Three available life groups for people to join and connect. If you are feeling led to form one of your own or have an idea or a group of people you've been talking to, we would love you to pray about that and contact me and I can also add you to the list. If there are any groups that I have missed and I haven't talked to a leader of your group or someone in your group about it, please let me know so I can keep track of how people are meeting in our church. On this board, we have... Okay, I'm going to move this. Here's the information for each group that's meeting and open to new members joining. The little cards over here have contact information for each of the leaders. You can just grab a card and call or email them at your convenience to ask questions, ask where to meet, what time, if you need more information. My information is down here. If you need that, to call me or pick my brain or whatever you need to do. I just am so happy to be put here at this moment to help foster the community of our church and then turn outward and serve others and bring them into the kingdom as well. A small note, um, I'm also going to be helping with Titus groups for the ladies. I am, yeah, woo, finishing getting all of that information put together as well, and there will be more um, postings or information coming out soon with that. Thank you so much. Please pray to see where God is leading you to join or form or become part of something greater here at Applewood and also just greater in the kingdom. Thank you so much. You can leave it, Phil. Give her a sec. I'll grab it. Thanks to Carrie. I am so, uh, so delighted and, uh, and thankful that, that God has put this on your heart. Um, I, I get a, a kick out of her, her statement that, you know, we're, we're doing life groups a different way. Um, what that means is that we, we want to uh, take the secrets away. And, uh, and, and let people know where they can get involved and how they can get involved and, and groups that they can plug into and how they can connect in life with one another. Uh, I am very excited about this and uh, am hopeful that you will be praying about where you can plug in and a group that you can be a part of, or as Carrie has said, a group that perhaps God has put on your heart, an idea. Uh, get in touch with her and talk with her. And uh, let's begin to connect and be very intentional uh, in our relationships for one another. It's not going to look the same for everyone, and that's okay. But the starting point, the starting point for all is, 
is that we understand how important it is to share life with others who love Jesus. That's really bottom line, is that we are sharing life together in Christ, that we are growing together, that we are supporting and encouraging one another. Uh, We're in this journey together to share the good, to share what is hard, to share everything in between. And, and quite frankly, that's exactly how God intends it. Uh, God does not delight in the Lone Ranger Christian. He delights in those who recognize that they need others to help them form and become in uh, fully devoted followers of Jesus. I read this from a pastor this week as we conclude this morning talking about being a church member. And I thought, wow, this really applies, I think, to being a, a life group member as well. It says it's a way of life. It becomes a vocation. It means participation in an intricate web of hospitality, living at the intersection of human need and God's grace, inhabiting a community where men and women who don't fit are, are welcomed where neglected children are noticed, where the stories of Jesus are told, and people who have no stories find that they do have stories after all, stories that are a part of the Jesus story. Being a church member, being a member of the body of Christ, places us strategically and yet unobtrusively at a heavily trafficked intersection between heaven and earth. Brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, as the children of God, as His church in this world, we are called to be a people who are desperately dependent upon Him and relying upon one another to live this journey together for His glory. So I hope that you'll walk away this morning not only thinking, well, I've heard that before, but perhaps thinking, and maybe I should think more about where I'm plugged in in terms of other brothers and sisters in Christ. What can I bring to them? Because I know that I will receive from that. That is the give and the take of being brothers and sisters together in the body of Christ. So let's pray. Father, I am grateful for this congregation. Grateful for the ways that we experience your grace and your work in our lives. Grateful for the blessing of knowing others and of being known. Father, you know that there is something in our hearts, even the redeemed heart, that, uh, that tends to sort of push out at that idea. I don't really know if we want to be known We aren't sure if we we really can give that kind of time. I pray that your spirit will just overwhelm our thinking process so that we come away realizing that there is nothing that is more worthy of our time than an investment in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we find ourselves doing that, we find that your spirit blesses us with their lives in return. You are a God who has created vastly different people. So there are differences in personalities and lifestyles and political parties and and socioeconomic scale and all of that stuff that just doesn't matter when it comes to the body of Christ. I pray that your spirit 
will remind us of that, will empower us to live that truth out, that we are a living witness to those who are still trapped in the kingdom of darkness by the powers of evil in this world. We are a living witness that there is indeed a better way to live life. Surrendered to the power of your Holy Spirit by the grace that we have received through your Son. So, Father, we offer ourselves to you again and ask that you would renew us in our commitment to you and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray.